Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, today I am joined by Thomas Boffa, you can find on Twitter at WolvesBlog, and that's it. It's just going to be the two of us today, but Thomas, an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, I figured we'd start off talking about the Arsenal-Liverpool match, probably the marquee matchup of the day, um, and it didn't disappoint unless you're a Liverpool or Tottenham fan, uh, probably. Uh, but anyway, I think the most surprising thing about this match is that it ends with Arsenal being top of the table and Liverpool falling out of the top 10 uh, in the Premier League table, which I'm sure is not what people expected coming into this season. Uh, did you get to watch the match? And if so, what did you make of it? Yeah, I saw I saw most of it. Um, and yeah, I, I thought it was it was similar in a lot of respects to the Arsenal-Tottenham match that I also saw a mm. few weeks ago. In the Arsenal, are just so fast out of the blocks. They're swarming all over teams. And, you know, they got the goal in, in both games. But then what I felt happened was Liverpool came back into it and when they got the equaliser, that equaliser had been coming for five or ten minutes before it arrived and you were just expecting Liverpool to kind of take the game and that's kind of also what I thought in the in the Tottenham game. Um, once they got level, I just thought they looked the more composed team um, and Arsenal looked on the ropes a bit but I think that's that's credit to Arsenal and, and what Mikel Teta's doing there in that you know they're able to go again they're able to absorb those moments and and then you know turn things around and and I'm just impressed impressed with what they're with what they're doing um and it's just the the question mark with them is can they can they carry on at the level that they're showing because they they're an impressive they're an impressive team and um, and yeah I mean it was a Obviously, Liverpool clawed them back again in the second half, and, and again Arsenal were able to, to go on. So it was, um, yeah, it was a it was an interesting game, and probably another endorsement um, uh, for Arsenal. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I saw a couple of Liverpool people saying that Arsenal were kind of playing the way Liverpool used to, like just being devastating with with their speed and their technical ability. Um, and, and I think specifically pointed out the the goal that they conceded right at the end there. That's a thing that Liverpool used to do was kind of like punish people when one legs would kind of drop or attention would drop because you're just kind of waiting for the halftime whistle. Um, really don't know why <laughs> Henderson didn't just bother trying to pull down Martinelli there. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was uh, I think it was pretty telling in, in terms of the places where both of these clubs are now and where they could ultimately go. Um, come the end of the season. To that point, what what do you think is more true? That like Arsenal are like top four favorites, potentially title contenders, or that Liverpool could have like kind of a Chelsea-esque season where they won the title and then the next year were, what did they finish, ninth, I think? Uh, well, I think Arsenal look nailed on, you know, top four material as a, as a minimum. That's probably the more likely. I think Arsenal's improvement is is stark, but it's very difficult. I mean, I'd probably sit on the fence and say it's quite even in both of those senses. I think Arsenal have definitely improved and Liverpool have definitely regressed. don't think there's any dispute about either of those things. Um, I, I feel like it's almost there with Liverpool. I, I, I watch them and I just think that they're, they're missing just a little something in the balance of the team. Um, I think a low-key issue for Liverpool has been the loss of Robertson. Um, I don't think Simicast is the is the same player, and I think not having what Robertson, Robertson gives them down the left just completely alters the dynamic of the team. And when you think they had, uh, you know, Mane and Robertson bombing down that you know that side of the pitch, um, that's such a change to lose those two players because you're talking about the the most devastating left back and the most devastating you know one of the most devastating forwards in the world. So to take that out 
is massive. Um, and I just feel that they're having to adjust the way they're playing and it's just completely reshaped the balance of their, their team. So I don't think they'll do as badly as Chelsea did in that season. I do think come the end, they'll be knocking on the door of the top four at least um, because I think there's enough there's enough talent there. They're not they're not short in too many areas. It's just they haven't got the right blend. Um, but, you know, as, as far as Arsenal go, they do look impressive and it, it, it'll just be how how lucky they are with injuries, really. I, I don't see them... I don't see them dropping down um, a significant level, you know, unless they lose some of the key personnel, you know, and that key personnel would looking at it would, would be Jesus who's, who's taken them up a level for certain. Um, and, and probably, you know, increasingly Martinelli as well, who I think looks a fantastic, fantastic talent. So, um, so yeah, I mean, Probably a bit, probably a bit of both, but I think more so the thing to take from it is more the level that Arsenal have gone up. I think. Yeah, I, I think those are all really good points. Um, also, as somebody that obviously watched the decline of um, Deli Ali, uh, I'm I'm just starting to get some weird vibes around Trent Alexander Arnold. I'm sure everybody saw the the Champions League goal where he basically just like turned around and let the person run past him. Um, I think the. Both of the first two goals came from his side. Although, like I said previously, Henderson is, in theory, supposed to be helping out over there. Um, kind of covering that wing space uh, when Alexander-Arnold gets forward. But just it, something just feels not right there. Um, I, I, I agree with you that, like, in theory, the talent should be good enough for fourth. But, I mean, I, I think that was a big conversation heading into last season with Manchester United. Is you just, like, look at the talent in the best 11 and assume it's going to work out. And it, I don't know. So, something just hits me as not currently being right at that club. And uh, maybe they'll be able to turn it around. I mean, I don't think they're going to get relegated or anything like that. I think it's unlikely that they'd let Klopp go right after it was such a huge turnaround for him to decide to sign an extension after initially saying that he was probably just going to leave um, after his contract ran out. But yeah, very, very interesting um, seeing Liverpool struggle the way that they are. <laughs> and with that said, I don't even know if Liverpool played that badly today. Just, I think, I think some of the goals they let in were were very surprising from a side that we've seen be so good defensively over the past few years. Yeah, I just think that, I mean, as far as Trent goes, I think it's just a case of because they're not as devastating in attack mm. and they're not smothering teams as much. Then you know the 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 opposite side of that is that teams will be able to then attack more at will and get at them. And we, it's been no secret that Trent isn't a very good defender. That mm. is obviously the worst kept secret in English football. Um, and the, the simple fact of the matter is Liverpool aren't dominating games in the same way. They're having to defend more. And as a consequence, he's being exposed more. I don't think there's any there's any great mystery about that, um, to be honest. So um, it's, it's, it's for them to, to alter... The dynamic of their team to, to to get back to the level that they were at. Um, they, that a point was raised in the game today that their defence is actually sitting uh, a couple of metres deeper on the pitch than it was last season. So that 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 shows you that they're probably not feeling as confident uh, as a team that they can step up on and get onto teams and just press them to death. And again, I think that goes down to the the players they've got at their disposal. Because again, you go back to Robertson and Mane, they're the people who really press people. They're the aggressive players. They give them qualities that I'm not sure Nunes is, you know, uh, yeah, Darwin, Nunes is giving them and um, and, and Simicass. I, I just don't think they're at that level. So um, yeah, I think they've got, they've got some problems to solve for sure. But um, I, I, don't, I don't think it's as bad as perhaps, perhaps it looks, as the table makes it look at the moment. Um, I think in the game today, they just kind of what would disappoint a lot of Liverpool fans, I think, is that they just kind of went away in the game. Once they got it back to one all, you were thinking, oh, they're going to kick on now. Um, I think it set them back losing Diaz, even though I know Firmino came on and got the got the equaliser. I felt they were in a really good rhythm in that spell after the equaliser. And I think just losing him just just set them back a little bit um, in the game. So maybe they'll reflect on a bit of. Poor fortune, and also I didn't think it was a penalty. I don't know what you thought of the the penalty on Hayes. Mm. Uh, I mean, I thought VAR were going to overturn that when I saw the replay, but um, again, you know, VAR seems to be acting differently now. They seem to be making decisions a lot faster, which I suppose a lot of people would say is good. Um, but that was one of them where, when I saw the replay, I thought, oh, that should probably be overturned because it hardly looked like there was any contact at all. But um, 
so yeah so maybe Liverpool can reflect on a little bit of misfortune but mm. you know maybe Arsenal equally will feel they warranted that look because they they were forcing the issue yeah I'd say there was definitely contact with with Jesus's plant leg but that doesn't make you fall the way that he fell so no. I, I thought it was like kind of both like yeah. there was contact in the penalty area which you just always have to be ready for it to be called a penalty regardless of whether or not it, you know it was like forceful contact of any way but it was also a dive <laughs> it was like somehow both things the, yeah. one, the one i was really confused about was the uh ooh was it gabriel who well, had his hand up yeah on diogo jota I, that was a, that was a definite handball again i was thinking there i was going to pull that back and it's going to be a penalty but these rules just having a tremendous amount of elasticity and I can't mm. keep up with them. I've, I saw goals given against walls from VAR for handball where players had their hands by their side behind their yep. backs and the ball was smashed against it. And there you've got a player with his hand up in the air, blocking a cross that's destined to go into the penalty area with his hand above his head, basically. And, <laughs> yes. and, the, and they just, they'd never even, you know, there was not even the sniff that they were going to go to VAR. It was... It's very odd. I don't really understand the rules. And I think that's the the changing, the ever-changing dynamic of how they use VAR combined with the ever-changing dynamic of what they consider to be a handball makes it very confusing at any one time to know what is and isn't a penalty. Yeah, and you're talking at like a systemic level. I think there's also the issue that like the individual refereeing the match is also going to add their own like personal opinion to it. It's like the rule itself is too far up to interpretation and then obviously the different referees have different views of that the, the only thing i saw explaining that non-handball call was that distance is now a factor like like yeah. ball traveled distance but like you just can't have your arm out in like a t-pose in the penalty area mm. i uh yeah i agree with you I, I think it's way way too inconsistent i also immediately thought it was a penalty admittedly i am biased <laughs> in yeah. a situation like this um but yeah, I agree with you, though. I think Liverpool can look at both of those with with some level of eyebrow raisedness um, and probably feel a bit hard done by. But as we said, ultimately, <laughs> the match is over now. Arsenal in first, Liverpool in 11th. Let's see where things go from there. But certainly a, a surprise based on what people were expecting coming into the season. Um, next up, I wanted to talk a little bit about Erling Haaland because we somehow haven't discussed him specifically on the show yet. Uh yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. I think we were just talking about like, oh, City are really good and will continue to be good uh, with a striker um, <laughs> after like two years of not really using uh, a recognized one. No offense to Gabriel Jesus, who you just mentioned, but he was playing out wide quite a fair bit in those kind of in, in that final period under Pep. But uh, he now is the fastest player ever to 15 Premier League goals after his goal yesterday against Southampton. Uh, he's only failed to score in one league match thus far. He has 20 goals in 13 matches in all competitions and leads the league in shots on target, expected goals, and actual goals, obviously. Um, are you surprised that he's been able to just like walk in and pretty immediately become golden boot favorite and also drive City to, to look even more imposing than they were last year? No. No. I mean, that's the start. <laughs> Fair that's the start, start and end of the conversation, really. I mean, it's... Um, it, it, it was just the least surprising thing you could ever expect. It was, it was, it was predictable. It's not. I know it, it's easy, maybe, to say it with hindsight now because I don't think there's a podcast you've got me on two months ago saying he's going to be brilliant and score loads of goals. But, <laughs> but I don't think it's a stretch for anyone to believe that most people thought he would be brilliant. I mean, I know there's some people who are massive followers of European football and you know they know every player in every European league. I'm I'm not at that you know that level of um, dedication to following it outside of the, the Premier League. But he was a player, every time I saw him uh, for Dortmund, I just thought, what a fantastic player. <laughs> I mean, he's just, you know, he looks like the best number nine in the world. Um, Man City are the most creative team in the world. They're going to create the most chances. It, you know, the, the word inevitable is is banded around for Holland. And it, in, in this Manchester City team, he's absolutely inevitable um, because he's going to get chances and because he's a fantastic striker, he's going to score a lot of those chances. So um, it's it's no surprise, you know, and I think the fact that you said, you know, oh, we haven't talked about him is because and the reason he hasn't come to mind is because it's not surprising. It's just completely normal that he will score 
uh, you know, an incredible amount of goals in this incredible Manchester City team. I mean, do you disagree with any of those statements? Of, of course not. He's really good. Um, <laughs> and he's he's kind of specialized in that I, I've noticed he doesn't really drift wide or start wide and drift in. He, he's pretty much like if you just plotted a straight line from like the dot in the center circle to the goal or like the penalty spot it's it's pretty consistently just up and down there every once in a while he'll, he'll run the outside channel on like the outside shoulder of a, of a center back but it's it's not like a hyper complex game that he's playing <laughs> just like i'm really fast i play with some of the most creative players in the world and i don't miss my chances um so uh yeah i agree with you in, in that sense it's it's not surprising i guess i did think that it would take some time to adjust the system back to one that kind of heavily relies on a, on a true number nine the way it did um, when, when Aguero was in his pomp. Um, but we're talking about one of the best managers of the world managing one of the best strikers in the world and behind him is one of the best creators in the world. So maybe uh, that was just foolish of me to think it would take a bit. Uh, I did have uh, Kane finishing his golden boot winner this year at the start of the season. That feels unlikely at this stage well, he's he's gonna he's a good bet for second I was, I was gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah totally but it's gonna be a distant second i i think um uh but yeah i i've been i've obviously been very impressed with how he's played and and as he said it's it's just so consistent that it it's it never feels noteworthy that it's another one like here we are talking about it after he only scored one goal in a match when he's already had what two hat tricks yeah, no, like, three, isn't it? Oh, is no, it? one was in the Champions League. One. That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so two in the Premier League. But yeah, it's uh, it's just kind of, it seems ho-hum until you like take a second to look at the statistics and just see the kind of pace that he's on. Um, and, and yeah, it, it can get pretty mind-boggling pretty quickly. Um, and I also think it makes City one of the more enjoyable sides to watch. We were just talking about Arsenal, who obviously are not enjoyable for me to watch, but they're they're playing an attractive brand of football at the moment. I'd say City are up there right now as well, but there really aren't that many teams that are like air quotes fun to watch. And I think Holland has also, you know, not that City have ever been boring to watch, but it's just added like yet another dynamic element that can just kind of turn a match on its head. And, you know, there there aren't that many players that when you watch pretty collectively, everyone's just like, whoa. Um, and I do feel like he he provides that as well. Um, we talked about Arsenal there, obviously, in the open. Um, and, and them potentially being title contenders, definitely being top four favorites. With City now having a striker of Haaland's uh, ability, do we think that there's going to be a meaningful title, title race into the spring? Or do we think that as everybody else starts to pick up injuries or with the disruption of the World Cup, which obviously doesn't affect Haaland, which gives him a month to rest up, which feels incredibly rude, um, that, that City will really just have this thing kind of dealt with by like March or April? Yeah, I think it's hard to believe anyone can live with Manchester City's consistency because we've seen in you know the last three, four seasons, every, every year, they've managed to produce 10, 11, 12 wins in a row at one point point in the season and that is just devastating um at the moment arsenal are obviously keeping pace and, and doing a bit better actually um but i i think they've still got to prove that they can they can win um you know at, at that level of consistency you know they could go and get a a good result uh you know against man city but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're still going to be able to last the pace, you know, with all the different challenges you get in the Premier League and all the ways you can come unstuck at all these difficult places to play. Um, you know, that it, it's, I think it's telling that people are still really just talking about City, even though Arsenal are ahead of them. You know, people are still talking like it's inevitable. And I think that's, they feel that way. But it, it, I think it will come down to, it will come down to injuries because there's nothing to say that Haaland's going to stay fit. Um, we know from past seasons that De Bruyne hasn't got the best injury record. He's, he's you know, he's very rarely a 30-game-plus-a-season uh, player. Um, and if he, he struggles, maybe maybe that could that could affect them a little bit. But but at the moment, um, yes, I think the most likely outcome is a Man City title win by a, by a considerable distance, only because they've just got that muscle memory of winning titles as well. And I think that counts for so much as the season progresses. They just know how to navigate every part of the season 
um, to ultimately be successful, you know, and, and Arsenal are still as great as they look. They're still an unknown quantity over a, over a long period. So, um, so yeah, and outside of them, you're looking around thinking who else would even be capable at the moment, and there isn't anyone. So, so yeah, so I think I think the most likely outcome is is City. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I feel like if this was another league, or or even if it's Premier League fans talking about like Germany and Bayern's dominance. Like, should it feel more boring that City just keep winning the Premier League? Because it feels like it's like in a different way every season. There's tactical nuance, um, as you mentioned, that they are just painfully consistent for everyone else. But like, I don't feel like I've ever been particularly bored with City or a season or bored with the league, even though it has been largely foretold for the last five years that City were likely going to win the title. Yeah, I think it's I think it's mainly been because Liverpool have just been right there with them. That that's been mm. the thing, isn't it? Because you've had a you've had a race. Um it hasn't been a you know, a Bundesliga buying her ahead by fifteen points. You know, it's it's those those you know, those two great teams have been it's been an era where both of those teams have been fantastic and at the moment it looks like Liverpool have blinked first and uh, you know, City continue to be fantastic. I think if City were winning every season you know, and you were you were comfortable crowning them champions at the halfway point, then yeah, that would that would grow to be quite mundane quite quickly. Um, but yeah, so I think I think it's that combined with the fact they just play wonderful football. You know, and they're doing things. This was Liverpool and City before this season. They were doing things that we hadn't seen in the Premier League. Like I said, these long extended runs where they were just winning every game is is incredible. It's something to behold, really. Um, and it's the way they play, the way Pep Guardiola is gets that team playing um it's it's incredible to watch um so yeah so i don't think we're we're at that stage yet um but i think that the premier league it can change very quickly um so i think there's always that aspect of even though city are dominating there's always in the back of your mind thinking well actually you know if they got they lost one of those key players they'd be they'd suddenly might just be a question mark um and it's such a relentless competition i think that that anticipation that it could change just keeps things exciting. Yeah, that's a good point. And so then the question is, yeah, can can anybody keep up the pressure that Liverpool had the past few years? Because I know it's pretty early, but how many points off are, are Liverpool now? Uh, the miles. 13? Yeah, it's not going to be them. So so uh, we'll see if anybody can step into that. And yeah, maybe, maybe this is the year that we, we start to get um, bored of it if, if it ends up not being close at all. But Time will ultimately tell on that. Um, another thing that I think was pretty fascinating is last week, uh, I think it was, there were a lot of rumors about um, Steve Cooper potentially getting the sack um, at Nottingham Forest, which would have just added to this crazy news uh, fire out of that club after they basically signed 20 first-team players uh, over the transfer window and then a little bit after uh, with Serge Aurier coming in on a free transfer. Um, post-transfer window, but uh, then Steve Cooper all of a sudden starts trending and everybody's assuming it's him being sacked, but no, he's been extended through 2025. Um, I was just curious your thoughts on that. What what do you think of them extending him that far when there were already questions about him long-term, questions about the fact that they're in the relegation zone, but then them ultimately showing a lot of faith in him by extending him after they obviously invested a lot in the summer? Yeah, it's just it's it's just a crazy time. I think it's just been a whirlwind for Forest when you think about it. I mean, they spent all these these years in the wilderness in the Championship, um, and you know my team Wolves were right there with them for many of those seasons. So I felt their pain of being stuck in this purgatory of the Championship for for so long, and they had so many near, you know, near nearlys to get get promoted to the Premier League, and then they were I think they were they were you know near relegation. They have spent some time in League One. Um, and it looked like, you know, with this owner, they've got quite, he's quite a character, the owner. Um, it, it seemed like he was hiring and firing managers at will. And um, I remember Wolves went there at the start of last season, um, beat them 4-0 in the League Cup. And they were bottom of the table and they were staring down a, a horrible season uh, with uh, Chris Hewton as manager. And they sacked him and bought Cooper in and they've just been you know, on an upward trajectory ever since. So when you consider how short a time he's actually been at the club and what he achieved, I think that just put so much, um, you know, equity in the money in the bank for him that it, to me, I think it would have been preposterous to sack him because 
they obviously adopted this strategy of mass change over the summer. Um, so, you know, you, you've got the the coach who's proven at the club and, and done very well for them. And and it's not like they haven't got any points on the board. Um, I mean, they've got what they, they've got a win and a draw. Um, they could potentially, uh, you know, get to seven points by winning their game on Monday. Uh, and they'd be close to being on the sort of outside of the relegation zone. So maybe, I think to me, I think it's the right, it's the logical decision to stick with him because I don't think he's had enough time. If you're going to, if you're going to commit to a strategy of bringing in 22 players, you can't sack the manager five or six games later when he hasn't really had a chance to work out what combination of, of that brand new squad um, is going to work best. I just don't think there was any connected thinking there. Um, I think the name that was talked about was Rafa Benitez. So perhaps there was a thought process of thinking, well, maybe we'll give a, a more proven Premier League manager an opportunity with this group of players and maybe that will be a better bet. Um, but I think the the thought process was perhaps, no, we, we, we're going to stick with with our guy. And maybe they thought a show of confidence to him is going to get his mindset in the in the right place and it's going to pull everyone together and show that we're you know, we're one united force and we're, we're going to move forward as a club that way. So, you know, in a way, I applaud them for that. Um, but, you know, we're, they're playing Wolves next weekend. So I hope it, you know, it goes south for them. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd imagine so. Yeah, I, I, the whole Steve Cooper thing is really fascinating because, like, ever since he took over Swansea, and, I, and we may have talked about this on the show before, um, he's really relied on loans pretty heavily. And it's one of the reasons they needed so many players this summer. It isn't just that they added 20 players. They lost like a vast majority of their squad from last season and had to replace them with new players. Um, And I think Dave mentioned on the transfer window review show that we did, like if this was any other manager, this would be reacted to the same way that Fulham's when when I think they brought in 12 players in one window was like we all had a laugh about the forest thing but I think the reason why um people were more interested than just automatically assuming it was going to be terrible is he has been historically very good at bringing in a whole bunch of new players and pretty quickly getting them to play together as a team um and you mentioned already a win already a draw I I think if memory serves they, they were a little hard done by at the start of the season as well where they could have gotten a couple more results um, but yeah, I, I think what's fascinating about this is do, do they have the money and the clauses in the contracts in case they go down? Because I think being like Steve Cooper, we're fine with you being our kind of yo-yo manager. Maybe we're up two years, we're down one year, we're back up. Um, kind of, kind of the way Burnley were with Dyche there, uh, for a period before they obviously established themselves as, as a Premier League club for quite some time there. Um, like I, I like that. I like the gamble on him more than I like the gamble on 20 players <laughs> with all the, all the crazy wages that come with it. So yeah, I'm, I was similarly surprised, um, that, that amidst all the talk of him getting sacked, that the thing that actually happened was a multi-year contract extension, but you know, we'll, we'll see how it works out. I, I also wonder what's going to happen in the dressing room with that many players all trying to vie for, for a starting 11 space. Obviously, no European football. We'll see how the cup competitions go for them. Um, but yeah, well, it's just fascinating. I think this is going to be such an interesting case study looking back on it to see how they how they did and, and what worked and what didn't work from it. But Steve Cooper, I think, is a good manager. He's been extended, I think, uh, it, without going too far into like a loyalty thing. Um, I, I think it's very impressive from them to recognize that uh, they've given him a very weird task, um, but that he's a good manager and that, that they trust him regardless of, of other things that may be going on at the club. Uh, all right, we will take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for, I usually say our guests, but Thomas. <laughs> this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back. Thomas, obviously, we're going to be talking Wolves with you here. Uh, pretty disappointing match yesterday, obviously. Uh, no longer Bruno Lage in charge, which we'll get to in a second. But just wanted your kind of initial thoughts on, on that first match post Lage. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty routine win for Chelsea, to be honest. Um, and it's kind of what we've become used to uh, with Wolves this season. The same deficiencies are there. Uh, we look fine between the penalty areas. We play some really attractive uh, football. We, we move the ball through the defence and midfield to get the ball into the attack, but we just can't do anything around the opposition penalty area. And more worryingly, uh, we haven't got that solidity at the back anymore. Uh, we're not really compelling. You know, there's no clear style or direction of what this team is trying to be. Um, so it, it felt from the start, even though we, you know, we carried a threat in the game. And don't forget, it took Chelsea into the second minute of injury time in the first half to get a goal. Um, but what you would say is it, it looked like that goal was coming because there was just wide open spaces all around our penalty area. And it just seemed like the ball was just getting stuck under their feet or they weren't getting their shots in when they probably should have. So it, the goal felt inevitable. Um, and then we had a spell after half time where we, we had a bit more control, but then they just got a goal out of nothing because that's what good teams can do. And and they were just, it was just easy for them. It just felt way too routine. You know, it was a flat atmosphere in the ground because I think it's the worst kept secret that we weren't going to score. Having scored only three goals in total this season, it was unlikely from 2-0 we were going to do anything. Um, and then obviously they got a late third goal as well. to the And I think 3-0 was perhaps a little bit harsh um, on the balance of play because I think Wolves did have their say in the game. But um, but yeah, it's just one of those. If you, if you can't score any goals, if you're incapable of scoring goals, which Wolves are increasingly, and you're not airtight defensively, then you know top players are going to are going to hurt you. So I mean, on the plus side, I mean our, our season's not going to be defined by the defeats to to Chelsea and Man City in recent weeks, but it's got to improve quickly from from what we're seeing. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess now we need to talk about the Lodge era itself. Kind of similarly to the Nottingham Forest conversation we were just having there, you brought in some pretty high profile players. On, on decent money to play under Bruno Lage, who, who has now already been sacked. I guess we'll start off with how much of his departure do you think is actually something that can be laid at his feet, like a failure on his part? And how surprised are you that they did it, considering that they just kind of invested a fair chunk this summer? Yeah, it's it's such a weird one. It's really It's really difficult because I think you've got to remember that we were, I think it was like as late as March this year, last season, we were like a point behind Tottenham. You know, we were we were in there for the European places. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he did that last season. He basically inherited Nuno's squad and they gave him no money last season and he just made do with what we had. And we actually did pretty well. You know, I th- it fizzled out really badly. And I think that counted against him because I think we didn't win any of our last like six or seven Premier League games and then that meant this season when we were struggling to get a win, it became, I think he won one of his last 15, 16 games in charge of Wolves. And when you look across two seasons at that record, you think, well, it's inevitable. You know, one win in 15, 16, no Premier League manager is going to survive that, are they? So um, it did. It wasn't a great surprise in that respect. But as to how much is his fault, I don't know. There's just this nagging suspicion in the back of my mind that, 
he's he's just had a some gross misfortune because um we we just can't seem to get strikers fit and firing for us because last season when we were doing well and we were in European contention we had Raul Jimenez back in the team and even though his output wasn't what it had been in previous years he was still a focal point for that attack and he was bringing players into the game he was getting the occasional goal we were tight defensively so we were just getting on the right side of results and the problem he had was as well in the summer he was operating with Raul Jimenez up front with Pedro Neto and Morgan Gibbs-White playing just off him. And then obviously the club went and sold Morgan Gibbs-White to Knott's Forest and then Raul's been injured. Um, and so, and you know, Pedro Neto's injured now as well. So you're looking at it thinking, well, you know, that whole attack that he'd spent the whole preseason working on has been decimated pretty much. And then we bought Sasa Kalajnik from uh, Germany in and, you know, he... He did his uh, cruciate ligaments in his first game. Uh, and that, that meant that we then had to panic by and get Diego Costa on a free. And then obviously he hasn't kicked a ball for six or seven months. So they're, they're working with him to try and get him up to speed. And, you know, we're trying to get some minutes into him. Um, yeah, and I, I just think when you factor all that in, you think, well, you know, it kind of goes a long way to explaining why we're not getting any goals because we haven't really got a striker on the pitch and certainly not a fit and able one. Um, and he's trying to adjust from this this back three into something more attacking. And I think you can see in some of the patterns of play what they're what they're trying to do and how they're they're trying to shape up that team. But I just think they haven't got the cutting edge. Um, so I think it's uh, he did make some strange decisions with his team selection towards the end. But I I can't shake the feeling that there's just there is some misfortune. My my thought process was he should have been given another two or three games. Because I wanted, I thought we've got Notts Forest, Brentford, Leeds, and Palace to come up, and I just felt that he should have been given the opportunity to, to perhaps have a go at those games, and maybe we would have got one or two players back, and 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 things might have picked up a bit for him. But um, so yeah, so it wasn't a great surprise, and my feeling was maybe it was a touch, a touch premature, um, and I think he was just, a, I think he was a little bit unlucky. Yeah, and the timing was also weird because it wasn't it after the international break. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean that that was, wasn't it? I think I, I don't really. There seemed to be rumors going around before the West Ham game that mm. he'd been sat, he was going to be sacked. So it's one of those strange ones that, that obviously the club have made the decision for whatever reason. When a manager goes, you hear all these stories about issues with the players and the dressing rooms and. You know, there are statements have come out. A lot of people were talking on social media about how none of the players had had come out and said, you know, oh, sad to see him go, you know, as players tend to do on Instagram and Facebook. So was that perhaps telling that um, maybe they didn't believe in him and he, he wasn't their guy? I, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, I think I think what they're looking at is, is like I said, they've got this run of games coming up before the the World Cup break. And I think they're thinking, well, we can get a new guy in. Maybe he can get us some results. And then there's some time to sit down and plan what we might do in January if we can't get these, you know, a couple of these strikers back for us. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know about the timing, really. I mean, when is the right time, really? You know, is there ever a good or bad time? I, I, I don't know. Well, I'd argue that a bad time is when you don't already have someone else lined up that you think will be better. Um, which, in theory, has not happened yet. Although, rumors that Lopetegui could just immediately bounce over from Sevilla. Is that a name that you'd be excited about? And if not, who who do you think might be uh, in frame as, as potential candidates? Yeah, I think it is. Is that how you say it, Lopetegui? Because like, I've heard, I currently I've heard Lopetegui, say it. Lopetegui, I've heard. Lopetegui or Lopetegui. But yeah, so one of us will be pronouncing that wrong <laughs> in the conversation. But yeah, I mean... Or the, both. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you look at the evidence on paper that he he was supposed to be the Wolves manager uh, right at the start when Fosen came in because he was like George Mendez's guy and, you know, he was going to be inserted and be the, the you know, the catalyst for this project at Wolves. Um, and then he went and took the Spain job. Uh, he's out of work now because he's just been sacked by Sevilla. Uh, he's still a George Mendez client. So the fit is there, isn't it, really? From the outside, you, you're thinking it's inevitable, really. Um, there are a couple of other, you know, of Mendez's sons, as we'll call them, uh, who, who could be 
put in there, but I, I don't know. I suspect it will be him. Uh, and if that is the appointment, then that's that's fine with me. Um, I think he's proven himself to be a very capable coach. You know, he's had Severe in the top four in the league of all the full seasons he's been there. I know they've had a tough start this time. Um, but, you know, I think there's some mitigation there because they, they've sold a lot of players uh, and there's a lot of turbulence in that squad. Um, but he, he's generally, I think he's still seen as quite a, a, a good a good coach and a capable pair of hands. I think of the names mentioned, he's probably the safest pair of hands because I think he's the most experienced in a top-level European league. Um, I don't think it's going to be a massive departure in style uh, from what we've seen, uh, but I think he, he could be the one to just get us through this season, minimum keep us up, of course, um, and, and then hopefully build something better. Got it. What, what would you say is kind of the... the atmosphere around Wolves at the moment is it excitement that maybe things will turn around maybe you'll get more wins maybe you'll score more goals or is it that like you said that there were missed chances under Bruno Lage? I think the general feeling is that this team should be doing better than it is so if and it's for someone to come in and find the right combination of players within the squad and then also um, find solve this problem of us scoring goals you know that there's there's something missing there because there's too many decent players to first and I'm not saying we should be prolific I'm not saying we should be banging in three four goals a game but three goals all season with with some of the players we've got is isn't good enough we should be getting more and I think there's there's a feeling that with the right coach it, it could be it could be quite good I think the the feeling going into the season as you pointed out earlier, we spent a decent amount of money. You know, we bought Mateus Nunes in from Sporting Lisbon. He was a marquee sign. He looks a tremendous player. He looked brilliant in the in the game yesterday. Um, you know, we had Nathan Collins from Burnley. He looked good before he decided to kung fu kick Jack Grealish and get suspended for three games. <laughs> he he looked a good acquisition. Um, you know, we, we, we'd already got Pedro Neto, Jimenez, Traore, Pedence. We signed Guedes from Valencia for 30 million. You know, the, the components were there for this to be a good season, uh, you know, a minimum kind of mid-table season and then hopefully pushing up to where we were last season. So it has been disappointing. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there's just been an, I think the feeling is we've been unlucky with, with a lot of the injuries we've had Um but yeah, I think the patience had run out with large for, uh, amongst a lot of the fan base because of that poor end to last season. So I think the feeling is get a good coach in, give him a little bit of time and things should pick up. You know, it's not total despair yet, but I think the, the worrying thing uh, for, for some, most supporters who are who are closest to that real panic button is just this chronic lack of goals. You know, it's, it's an embarrassment, really. Yeah, and then obviously not helped by the fact that you're new... Uh, number nine got an ACL injury like minutes into his Wolves career. Um, but yeah, hopefully you'll be able to turn that around. Uh, do you have any questions for me about Tottenham before we head into player watch? Well, yeah, what do you what do you think? I mean, I like I said to you earlier in the in the in the program, I watched that game against Arsenal and mm. that felt like a pivotal moment in the season. Um and, and like I said, once you got it back to one all. I was looking at, at Tottenham and thinking, yeah, the, these, this is the team, you know, Tottenham are the team. They're the, they've got that, that structure to their play. They've got all that know-how up front. And then it just kind of, the game went away. It felt like a soft goal to Arsenal. And, and at that, do you think that was a pivotal moment in the season? You know, do you think that, that if you got the result there, it would be you people were talking about and not mm. Arsenal? Or do you think actually Arsenal have been better and it's just a case of, you know, that was always going to be what it was. Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, obviously, any North London derby feels pivotal, um, considering for basically the entirety of the amount of time that I've been a Spurs fan, going back to, what, 2000 and... Nope, 2009. Um, we've always been battling for the same things. Usually top four, a couple times Europa League. Um, this season, obviously, both both being in the top four again, but I think it's more likely that both of us stay in it than either of us drop out. Um, it was a disappointing performance. I I, I think you kind of nailed the, the head there when I think the Kane penalty 
is what I thought was going to be the turning point. I thought that was going to end up being like a 2-1 or a 3-1 win for us, and it just didn't happen. But zooming out, it shouldn't be surprising. I I don't think it would be crazy to say that Arsenal have been the better side thus far this season. They have had an easier schedule, but we talked about this pretty early on. When I think it was when they first took uh, first place after City uh, mm-hmm. dropped points, that... Um, the, a lot of people were trying to hammer them with that narrative. Oh, you've had a lot of easy matches. But all those easy matches do are build confidence. Because you're getting those wins, you're building that confidence. So when you do face genuine tests, not that any match in the Premier League isn't, but when you're facing clubs that you're less expecting to be able to get points against, you now have all of that momentum kind of following with you. Um, so going into that match, I was already a little worried because Tottenham really haven't played that well this season. Uh, I don't know if people have seen this, but go coming into this week, Tottenham were dead last in passes into the final third. It is a very, it is not a chance-heavy team. This is not Pochettino's Tottenham. Tottenham create like three or four chances a match, and with players like Kane and Son up front, you typically assume that those are going to be your goals. Um, but it is not many opportunities. So if you can shut them down. Um, then, then you're going to find success. There were a couple stretches last season where people figured out ways ways to close down Tottenham. Um, I'm trying to remember who. Uh, the, the one that most sticks in my mind is Aston Villa, even though we ended up beating them like 4-0 or something like that. Because their yeah. approach was to just lock down Harry Kane's right foot. So even when he collected the ball in midfield, he wouldn't be able to play the ball over the top to Sun, and they were like, this is how we'll stop him. Um, and then Kane had like two flicked on headed assists. which is just a ridiculous thing but um yeah there aren't many chances created so you're you're hyper relying on Kane and Son to score their goals and Kane has been about middle of the pack compared to himself historically Son has obviously not had his best start to the season um which has really caused some some issues Kulisevsky's been injured and he's been rotating with um, Richarlison anyway, and while I really like Richarlison as a player, he doesn't have the creativity that Kulisevsky does, which forces Kane deeper back, which means he's further from goal um, inherently, so that causes issues. So getting back to that match in particular, going in, I wasn't overly confident. When we leveled, I was pretty sure we were going to win. You're not wrong, that that like fumbled Lloris Romero goal that Jesus just tapped in uh, feels like a story we've sang for a long time at Tottenham, which is in big moments. Very rarely is it kind of your your sixth or seventh best player making mistakes. The issue is that our big players let us down a lot. Um, Christian Romero is one of the best center backs in the Premier League already, having only been there for a year and being in his early 20s. Hugo Lloris is one of the most you know decorated goalkeepers around in the Premier League, obviously winning a World Cup, not much with us, <laughs> admittedly. Uh, and yet those two are the ones that... that combined to allow a, a goal that soft um we said it with Kane before who scored zero goals in any in any club final um who often complains about you know the club needing to show ambition but then when we're in those moments he hasn't capitalized on it um so yeah having those two combined for that second was obviously painful then the Emerson red card we've seen that be a red card we've seen that be no cards before um that was a disappointing red. But if anything, and I, I said this to somebody at the Spurs bar in Pittsburgh, if anything, I think that kind of saved the next couple of matches, to be honest with you. Obviously, outside of the jump here, sorry, the, outside of the, the coach that just passed and who knows the effects that that could have. Um, obviously, super tragic news. But um, losing 3-1 when you have a red card, you can still sell the narrative that you were going to turn it around. If there hadn't been a red card. Um, and maybe maybe that was enough to kind of keep the players going. Obviously a draw midweek in the Champions League is not exactly like they responded to it with a huge win. Um, obviously a very emotional one. No win this weekend. But ultimately do I think it's a massive turning point? Uh, I, I'm, I'm yet to be de- yet to be convinced. Just because there we play again. And the next time it will be at, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And it is not easy for Spurs to get points in North London derbies. It's especially harder uh, away at Arsenal. Um, if Arsenal, say, won the title, right? Mm-hmm. Then I think you could point to this. That that was like the moment. Like like we were saying, that they were building belief against, against um, opposition that they were expecting to beat. And then they had this first big test 
and won it significantly. Followed that up with a win against, as you said earlier in the show, Liverpool, who have been like the closest thing to title challengers. Well, they've been genuine title challengers for the last few years. Um, And then if that propelled them to to something, if they won a couple of trophies this year, obviously they've won a metric crap ton of FA Cups over the past few years. Um, But I I think they could view this as a turning point. I don't really think it's going to affect Tottenham too much long term. I think what will affect Tottenham is that they aren't playing well, but are still tending to get results. And I'm not personally sure which way that's going to go. Will Tottenham start performing better because it's one of the best managers in the world? In theory, there's a lot of good players. There's a lot more depth now. In theory, Kane and Son will, will get back to their best. But they've also overperformed for years. So is this actually the regression downwards? If things don't get better, will Spurs still be able to get results just because it's a strong defense, it's a very defensive system, etc.? Or will the results come back to earth? And then now we're looking at a can we get top four kind of conversation. But I don't know. From the outside looking in, that was a pretty long ramble. But from the outside looking in, which, which do you think is more likely? That the Spurs' performances will start to improve or that the results will start to be dragged back by the fact that Tottenham's performances aren't that great? I know it's not like an incredible statistic, but expected points Tottenham are currently fifth. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a... You, you point to, you know, not creating many chances, but I can I can see that as efficiency. And I think it's kind of know-how. I mean, when Wolves were playing a back three in that Conte style, you know, getting the wing backs involved, and then you had, you know, strikers who you felt were going to... We had Jota and Jimenez, you know, you've got Kane and Son and others. Um, You you feel like if we're defensively well-organised and we do all our jobs, then those players will win us the game. And that's kind of the premise that, you know, Tottenham are operating on. Um, And I still think whether you see... A massive improvement in the performance level or not you know I don't think I don't see that you're going to become a massively different team um, but I think you'll just continue to get results um, I, don't, I don't see that changing because you've got the solidity of the shape and, and the reliable system that Conte knows so well and then you've got players that will always score goals um, so I just I just see it. I mean what would worry me as a Tottenham fan compared to all if you look at how Arsenal are playing the style they're playing and that kind of marauding, mm. you know, four, two, three, one, four, three, two, whatever you want to call it against the way that Conte is set up. Does it feel like, you know, you've just seen how devastating Liverpool and Man City have been playing and they don't play in the way that Tottenham play, you know, so can you, the question is, can you win a Premier League now playing a back three and playing a kind of stoic, let's contain and let's destroy teams on the counter-attack? Is that tactic going to be successful enough times to, you know, to ultimately break that ceiling? You know, I think the way Arsenal are playing and the way they're set up speaks more to, you know, we're going to bridge that gap from being, you know, a team that might qualify for the Champions League to a team that might compete for the title. So that that would be my concern, you know, if I'm looking down the road at, at that team who you're always going to be compared with. I'd be thinking, you know, could with the players we've got, couldn't we play in the style that Arsenal are playing, and 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 be do, you know, be winning games that way, um, the way that Man City win games, the way that Liverpool win games by just simply overwhelming teams. Um, but yeah, but I mean, ultimately Conte's got a way that he likes to play, and you have been getting the results. I mean, I haven't even, I because I'm a Wolves fan, I don't look at the Premier League table at the moment. Um, but you are, you know. You, you, you're four points off the top, 20 points from nine games. That's a very, very healthy return indeed. Um, and you've got that that devastating consistency. So, I mean, when you think that really that Arsenal game turned on, you know, a couple of, you know, minutes, crazy minutes where, you know, you, you could have perhaps, you could have seized the initiative or at the very least got a draw. You'd have been right up there, wouldn't you? So it's yeah. it's perhaps harsh this time of the season. But I just think, as I say, from the outside looking in, uh, if, the, if the objective is, you know, go up a level, which I suppose getting Conte, that's ultimately what you're trying to do. Um, I'm just not sure. I mean, what do you think? Do you think a team can win playing three at the back and containing and breaking with, with the players? Do you think you'll ultimately get enough wins? Can you get 90 plus points doing that is the, is the question. Can you... Yeah. Can you keep pace with them? And that, that's 
And ultimately, I suppose another interesting question would be was if you were going to play that system, what type of player would transform that? You know, where where are the improvements to be made in mm. that top team? You know, if if you are going to keep the shape, where would you improve it? You know. Yeah, I, I think these are all great questions. Um, I think it's very easy to just like be in love with Conte as a manager um, because you said as somebody with, with as much uh, success on a CV as he's had coming into your club just makes you pay more attention. He does a lot of really tactically interesting things, even though they become repetitive because a lot of them are patterns or automatisms as they're technically referred to. Um, but I think you could use a similar accusation that we were using as, against Jose Mourinho and the way he was setting Spurs up, which is, both of them win a lot of matches 1-0, as Tottenham just did at the weekend. But in the age of VAR and some of the refereeing decisions that we talked about earlier in the show, that is less and less reliable because any small moment could be a penalty for the other team. Any small moment could be reviewed and now you're a man down. Um, so that the margins of a 1-0 lead are so much smaller now. Like, because it doesn't need to come from open play. It's so much more likely that just a random thing will happen. That'll, that'll turn things around. So I do think it's more difficult to win with like a defense first mindset these days. Um, I think ultimately it helps over a season because uh, you were talking like, are, are we jealous of, of the way Arsenal are playing right now? Um, I personally am not because we played like that under Pochettino. Like we were the young swashbuckling team that had a young core all kind of developing at the same rate along with the manager um, you know, blooding the noses of the of the air quotes big boys and all that stuff. So that that was us, and we didn't win. We didn't win anything under Pochettino. So I think there's a willingness to be pragmatic with a manager like Conte, understanding it's a 38 match season, and assuming that if we play his style, we'll be up there. But I mean, the question you asked: Do I think playing this way gets you 90 points? I I don't think I do, and. Is 86 points going to win you the title these days? No. So, uh, pretty pretty sad realization you made me come to there. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I just want to get to 40 <laughs> points, mate. So, uh, <laughs> fair, yeah. fair. Yeah. Um, as, as for what I think could instantly improve this team, would have been an elite-level right wing back, but there aren't many of those. You've um, got one of those. You've got Matt Doherty. You, you will... You're good to go. He was really good this weekend. A little rusty. Probably should have had a goal and an assist on a different day. But his first match back, uh, Emerson Royale is a decent defensive right back. He is not a replacement for an attacking wing back in an Antonio Conte system. So, yeah, we have Matt Doherty. We have uh, Jed Spence. Um, I This is this is the pipe dream, right? This is like the, the FIFA football manager thing. If you somehow got like... Hakimi to come after the way they played together at Inter that would be like now this is a title challenging side if we had managed to get Bastoni really I'm just talking about Inter players apparently um if you've gotten a player like Bastoni with his ability to distribute his ability to cover both the central center back position and the left-sided center back position um I think that's kind of a a make or break kind of signing who was obviously at the top of our transfer list but he just wasn't ready to leave Italy um, I think those things would have changed things. Outside of that, the fact that we don't have a number 10, but we haven't been playing a formation that uses one. But this weekend, we just, just tried the 5-3-2 again for the first time in a while. And then you're like, could we have not have called Erickson? Were we not serious when we talked about Madison or Lucas Pocetta, who ended up going to West Ham instead? Um, I, I know a lot of Spurs fans wanted a number 10, but that position doesn't exist in our primary formation. So, like, I understood not doing it, but that's another thing that could have made the difference um, if that had been a route we'd chosen to go. But enough about me bloviating about Spurs. Um, let's uh, talk about players that have been disappointing us, which maybe we've already been doing a little bit. Uh, who at Wolves were you expecting more of coming into the season? Uh, I think uh, I'm going to pick on Goncalo Guedes, who we signed from Valencia for, I don't know what it was, 25, 30 million pounds, I think, something in that ballpark. Um, I expected him to be a reliable source of goals and assists, and he hasn't been. And uh, how much of that is his fault? How much is the kind of turmoil that he's come into? Um, and the team kind of dragging him down. But I, he, he just looks so poor in his all-round performances. 
I just struggle to see how this is a guy who's been operating at the top level in La Liga for a good couple of seasons, been consistently in the Portugal squad and picked in the team to play alongside you know, Ronaldo and you know other Jotters and all those players. He just doesn't look like he's got it for me, um, and that's been very disappointing. And we we can't we couldn't afford to have any misses uh, in, in the attack. You know, he, he looks like another kind of out to win winger who like you know there's plenty of industry, um, plenty of good intention, but he's not a deadly weapon around the penalty area, and that's really what we needed. So I think you know looking at the fact that we've only got three goals and we keep harping on about that number, um, and the fact that he hasn't got any of them. Uh, it is, and you spent that kind of money, and we're nearly a quarter of the way through the season. I'm pretty disappointed. So, but I could, I could have picked others. Of course, I could, I could have picked. You look, look at the situation we're in um, down at the bottom, really, where I don't think we should be. I mean, other uh, other other supporters from other teams might think, you know, we are where we thought you'd be, but I didn't think we'd be this low down. I thought we'd be mid-table at the worst. So, I think we're underperforming. And I think it makes sense to to pick on one of those attacking players. Gotcha. And for Spurs, it's really easy. It's Son. He's not even been terrible, but if he isn't scoring a crap ton of goals, the system kind of doesn't work. As we just talked well, about. I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm not having that because he no. came on again. He came on against Leicester and scored more goals in ten minutes than we've scored. <laughs> so. I think you're taking the Michael there. Uh, you know, I, 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 who am I going to? I want to pick someone. Uh, I'll pick someone for Spurs. Okay. I'll pick. I will. I'm going to pick Basuma because I okay. thought I thought he would be. I thought he would just dominate. I thought he would just be in that team from game one, and be dominating. And from the bits and pieces I've seen of him, it doesn't seem like he's necessarily. Do you mean what? What do you? I think he played didn't he against Brighton. He did. Um, was he good in that game? I mean, I didn't. Yeah, he that. was much better. I, I agree with you. I, I don't think the um, play on the field has been particularly great overall. We haven't seen him much. He's been a sub in almost every match. I think this is only his second start of the season. So I think the disappointment is that he didn't force himself into the picture sooner. Um, the 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 scuttlebutt is that. Uh, because Conte uses so many patterns in build-up that it doesn't kind of doesn't matter how good you are. You need to learn the patterns first before you can regularly play. I, I truly hope that Basuma does not only start when we play three midfielders. I think he has uh, more abilities in more areas than, than even Bentancourt does. Um, I think Bentancourt is kind of like a master generalist. Um, who we definitely would not have gotten top four without last season. I think the way he came in and kind of reshaped our midfield was huge. Um, but I think I think Basuma and Hoybier are probably the best combination of two midfielders that we currently have. So yeah, I, I'd say I'm disappointed that Basuma hasn't been as involved, but I think part of that is on him, part of that is on Conte, and now we'll kind of see how he plays now that now that he's regularly playing. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll wrap up with uh, match previews. We already mentioned towards the beginning of the show you're going to be facing Nottingham Forest. Uh, what do you make of playing them and their newly minted extended manager? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, a lot of variables to consider. I mean, I don't. I think Forest are playing Villa tomorrow, aren't they? Or I think that's the Monday game. Um, so I don't know what kind of mindset that that team is going to be in. I suppose what they're trying to do is win a game with with this group of players they've got now and try and settle that team down as much and, and find a rhythm. Obviously, they came in having been battered by Leicester last Monday. Um, so it'll be interesting how they respond against Villa before we play them. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a big game, massive game for Wolves. I don't think we can, we can't, surely, surely we can't blank again in that game so we, we've got to we've got to be competitive I mean I think there was a feeling amongst supporters we wanted to get that Chelsea game out of the way it seemed like a bad time to play them and it was for us um, but we I'm hoping that we will get the manager in this week if he, even if he's not taking charge of the Forest game I think we need to get it sorted very quickly um, but but either way whoever's in the dugout it does feel like a, a big game that Wolves need to get a result in um, I, I, I don't know what will happen in the game because I'm just not confident of us creating chances and scoring goals. But my instinct is that we should, you know, if the, if the team selection is, is anything decent, we should have the better group of players 
even though Forest have obviously got an army. Um, and that there's a thought process that they're coming back with Gibbs White and Bolly, who are our players, and the, are they going to do something in the game? And you know, it's been a season of misery for us so far, so it's kind of it's almost seems inevitable. But I don't know. I, I think maybe I'm just hoping, probably more in hope than expectation, that we're just going to have enough. We're going to edge them on quality. We'll have Ruben Neves back from suspension, which will be a massive lift for us in the game. I'm just hoping that I think the the, the the ground will be be a hot atmosphere, and I, this, this might be the game where we can just we can get over the line. So um, I will back us for the narrowest of victories, maybe maybe a one nil or a two one. A two one would be yeah. two goals, which two I, goals. I'd recommend yeah. that you do. That sounds like a good time. <laughs> we'll wrap things there, though. So if you want to tell folks where they can find you, now's a good time. Yeah, yeah. If you want to, obviously, it's pretty boring reading about Wolves at the moment because uh, we're not doing anything, not scoring any goals. But if you did want to read about Wolves, you could go to wallsblog.com where there are regular match previews, reports, opinion pieces. And if your team's playing Wolves, obviously, there's some lively debate going on there. Um, or you can get us on Twitter at Wallsblog or at facebook.com forward slash Wallsblog. Cool, yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable, both on Twitter and in any of your podcast apps. But Thomas, an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.